0: Welcome! You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Ayers LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Hello, this is Martin Grote with an article from the August September 2022 issue of Forbes Magazine, America's premier business magazine, brought to you by Ayers LA. This is the cover story. Weed versus greed on page 102. Overregulation, overtaxation, Contradictions. America's politicians have completely blown the easiest revenue opportunity ever. legalized drugs. But it's not too late to save the $72 billion marijuana industry. By Will Yakowitz. Five hours north on Route 101 from San Francisco to Humboldt County, through a few cool redwood groves, Johnny Caselli turns on a wood chipper and empties 55 pounds of pot into the chute. Caselli grew cannabis illegally under the California sun for four decades. Now a state-licensed grower, he's destroying what used to be his cash crop. It doesn't matter how good your product is, there's so much supply in California that it's a race to the bottom, says Casale, founder of the Garberville-based Huckleberry Hill Farms, which produces about 500 pounds of craft cannabis a year from the two small greenhouses in his backyard in America's weed country. It feels like I'm a lettuce farmer right now. I'm working on the smallest of small margins. Cannabis legalization was supposed to make a slew of entrepreneurs rich, including legacy operators, a coy euphemism for what used to be called drug traffickers, dealers, and illegal growers. It was supposed to take something used widely and erase the criminal element from it. But, of course, America's politicians are blowing it. Thanks to overregulation, overtaxation, and state-by-state inconsistencies, the biggest no-brainer in the history of capitalism legalizing the world's most popular illicit drug is turning into a massive market failure some 95 percent of california cannabis cultivators operated at a loss last year according to jonathan rubin ceo of new leaf data services an institutional grade wholesale price tracker with the wholesale price of pot per pound in california down 52 percent since 2017 the year before legal recreational sales started in the state, squeezing out a profit is nearly impossible. The trouble boils down to simple supply and demand. It's easy enough to get a permit to grow marijuana, a crop that proliferates abundantly if you know what you're doing. Many farmers, therefore, began growing it in search of green riches. But gaining approval to sell it is complicated for retail outlets. First, there's NIMBYism. Even in weed-friendly California, nearly two-thirds of municipalities have refused to allow legal dispensaries within their borders. Second is regulation. Many states make dealing with weed more complex than handling weapons-grade plutonium. Third is the continued federal ban on marijuana, which makes building a business extremely difficult and limits access to the mainstream banking system. As such, most dispensaries are cash-only, a dangerous absurdity in an increasingly cashless world. One result is that California is home to just 1,000 dispensaries, one for every 40,000 residents. With so much pot chasing so few retail outlets, a lot of the extra weed funnels into the black market, which is supposedly going to be eradicated when marijuana went legit. Thus, legal prices are plummeting by 35% in California in the second quarter alone compared with the year before. In the United States' largest cannabis market, consumers spent $5.1 billion on legal weed last year and an estimated $15 billion on illegal bud. The numbers nationally are similarly tilted toward the black market, with $25 billion worth of pot sold legally last year and almost twice that much moved the old-fashioned way, according to research from investment bank Cowen Incorporated. Despite the fact that 60% of Americans support legalization for recreational use and 91% for medicinal purposes, the Drug Enforcement Administration recorded 6,606 marijuana arrests in 2021, a 25% increase over the prior year, with black and brown people making up a majority of those arrested. So much for legalization. Amid collapsing prices, the legal weed industry shoulders a tremendous tax burden that its illicit competitors don't. State taxes on retail sales are as high as 37 percent, and although marijuana remains illegal under federal law, Uncle Sam still holds out his hand for a big cut. Pot companies are not allowed to take most normal business deductions, leaving them with an effective tax rate of 60 percent or more. Illinois, for example, brought in $467 million in tax revenue from marijuana in the fiscal year ended this past June, compared to just $320 million from liquor. Yet the stock prices of publicly listed cannabis companies have crashed between 50% and 70% over the last year. Now that's reefer madness. Nonetheless, 43-year-old Jason Gellman stands in one of his six light deprivation greenhouses in his backyard in Humboldt surrounded by elbow-high purple pot plants. He's been growing weed and running from helicopters in the hills since he was 16. He says that going legal, he incorporated as Ridgeline Farms, was the only path toward a future that didn't involve scheduling visits with his wife and kids from inside a penitentiary. But he adds that he would have cleared almost $1 million from his crop in the days before legalization, Today he makes about $100,000 before costs, and he's barely in the black, much less making a living income. This whole thing is a fucking scam, Gelman says. It's set up for us to fail. If you want to get a look at the current state of the legal marijuana industry, come to the 1,200-square-foot commercial kitchen of Oakland-based Maker House, which produces pot-infused edibles and other offerings. More than a dozen mandated cameras record high definition video of the production line. Because cannabis businesses can open only in designated green zones, rent is far higher than what a different commercial entity would pay, says Amber Center, CEO of Maker. To top it off, the operation has been broken into twice this year. What is legalization doing to small business owners like myself? It's killing us, Center says. It's crushing us. By legalization, of course, she means regulation. Everyone loves the idea of a fair, transparent market. It's the mandates and fiats that are killing legal weed, more specifically, the balkanized nature of those regulations. Without federal legalization, anyone trying to create a marijuana business at scale has to ponder 38 sets of rules, reporting standards, and tax regimes. Things are so bad that even Steve D'Angelo, the father of the legal cannabis industry, as former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown once called him, calls the whole effort a failure. D'Angelo, a former dealer turned dispensary owner, was the driving force behind Proposition 64, which legalized recreational cannabis California in 2016, unleashing a state-by-state legalization gold rush. Recreational pot is now legal in 19 states. It's permitted for medical use in another 18, plus the District of Columbia. We legacy folks, over the course of 50 years, built a market which was fair, which was resilient, and which served everybody in the market very well, says D'Angelo, who founded Oakland-based Harborside Health Center, one of the country's first licensed cannabis dispensaries. And now we've had this hand-of-government intervention completely disrupted. Compare the difficulty of working within a state, across multiple states, and amid a thicket of tax regimes with the established black market, which has to deal with none of that, and you can see why the typical person smoking a joint probably obtained it illegally. There's an economic disincentive to participate in the legal market, says Emily Paxia, who co-founded Poseidon, a San Francisco cannabis investment firm with $200 million in assets under management. In the middle of this mess, the lines blur. Many companies in the legal industry regularly divert product into the black market, and vice versa. There's cannabis flowing in both directions all the time, says Rubin, the industry tracker at New Leaf. Working with the illicit market, many cannabis entrepreneurs say, is the key to staying afloat right now. Jonathan Elfan has been growing and selling marijuana since he was 17, and has the rap sheet to prove it. He and his father were arrested in 1998 and convicted of running a large pot grow house in Brooklyn, a crime for which the younger Elfand was sentenced to 10 years. Today, he runs Empire Cannabis Club, one of New York City's many gray market adult use dispensaries that operate openly thanks to a legal loophole that state legislators accidentally created. Elfand shelves in New York are filled with products from California and other states in which cannabis is legal. Every single company has a back door, he says. In the Maywood neighborhood of Los Angeles, at the Cookies-branded dispensary, the laws of supply and demand seem to be working surprisingly well. On March 16th, three days before Cookies dropped its newest strain of designer weed, a 41-year-old who goes by the nom de cannabis Smoky Vanilla parked his Toyota Camry in the Cookies dispensary parking lot and set up camp. For the next 72 hours, Smokey slept in his car, the way a sneakerhead might for a Yeezy shoe drop or a baby boomer might have decades ago for Rolling Stones tickets, Also, he could be one of the first to get his hands on a half ounce of cereal a la mode. The potent strain took cookies two years to develop. There's nothing like cookies and their flour, says Smokey, who has made a pastime of traveling to store openings and strain drops. I felt like... What's a couple days outside? Others agreed. Hundreds of people showed up early, settling into a line that snaked around the block. Within hours of the release, Cookie's inventory was sold out. I know the power of good weeds," says the company's co-founder, a prolific 38-year-old rapper known as Burner, née Gilbert Milam Jr. For Burner, the lines and empty shelves are all by design. He's found a way to sidestep the insane economics wrecking the rest of the industry. It's like Steve Jobs revealing a new product, but with a supreme crowd, he says, from the deck of his $2.7 million Montana vacation home, taking a drag on a joint as thick as his index figure at 10 a.m. Berner, like the farmers in Humboldt, comes from the illicit market. In the early aughts, the San Francisco native met underground cannabis cultivator Jai Chang, who is known for producing an immaculate version of a strain known as OG Kush in his Sunset District garage. Chang had also developed a hybrid that he thought tasted like Thin Mints, so he dubbed it Girl Scout Cookies. Berner sold the pot to his friends, including hip-hop artist Wiz Khalifa, and Girl Scout Cookies became a sensation. After the Girl Scouts of America reportedly sent cease-and-desist letters to medical dispensaries that stocked Chance creation, the duo launched their brand in 2011 as simply Cookies, which included a cult streetwear line in addition to cannabis strains. You can go to Japan, you can go to Dubai, you can go to Mexico, Burner says. Everyone knows the word Cookies. Today, Cookies has 51 licensing deals with branded real estate shops across the world, from Los Angeles and Las Vegas to Worcester, Massachusetts, and Beersheba, Israel. It plans to open one of Thailand's first branded legal dispensaries in August. With an estimated $400 million in gross merchandise sold last year, Forbes figures that Cookies generates around $50 million in annual revenue and, with high margins, is conservatively worth $150 million. Along with its shrewd knowledge of how branding can sidestep the marijuana industry's terrible economics, the Cookies team also understands licensing. They don't actually grow cannabis. They just take up to a 20% cut from the farmers who use their seeds. Nor do they sell it. They garnish another 5% to 15% of gross revenue from every branded dispensary, knowing that they have the name customers will camp out in their cars to buy. They have the prices to match, too. An eighth of an ounce of Bernie Hanna butter costs $60, perhaps 50% more than a generic strain, while a cookies hoodie will run you $100. In an industry dysfunctional at both ends of the supply chain, they are the low-risk middleman. This is survival of the fittest, Burner says. Ask Kim Rivers if legalization in America is a failure, and she laughs. There is no legalization, she says, explaining that under federal law the whole industry is technically a vast but visible criminal enterprise. That's quite a statement from one of the most powerful people in pot. Rivers is the CEO of Tallahassee-based TrueLeave, a $2.5 billion market-cap company with 173 dispensaries and 17 cultivation facilities across 11 states. According to Rivers, scale isn't about growth, but rather a matter of survival. We're taxed the same as if we sold heroin, she says. Ironically, while the federal government outlaws weed, it still wants a taste. Businesses that touch the plant are taxed under 280E, a section of the tax code created to prevent drug traffickers from taking normal deductions, besides the cost of goods sold. This means cannabis companies are taxed on their gross profit, resulting in an effective tax rate of 60% or more. According to Rivers, whose company did $938 million in sales last year, True Leave paid $85 million more in taxes Than if it had sold, say, furniture. Long Beach, California based Glasshouse Brands similarly focuses on scale and driving down the cost of goods sold. Its largest cannabis facility grows 400,000 plants across 1.5 million square feet of greenhouse space. Launched by Sonos founding team member Graham Farrar and former police officer turned real estate entrepreneur Kyle Kazan, it reaped its first harvest in June with a cost of goods around $189 per pound. Farrar plans to push the company's costs down to $100 per pound soon. Glasshouse, which is publicly listed on Canada's NEO Exchange, generated $69 million in revenue in 2021 but reported a $44 million loss. Ultimately, Farrar says, the massive operation is a call option on federal legalization, at which point he expects to be allowed to sell some of his giant harvests across state lines, like California wine. Federal decriminalization, removing cannabis from the list of controlled substances, is, by all accounts, the magic bullet. It would remove the 280E tax penalty allow normal access to banks, and facilitate more interstate sales. When those walls come down, this greenhouse is not going to feel big anymore, Farrar says. One greenhouse will be for Florida, another will be for New York, and one of them will be for Texas. It's going to be California cannabis on the shelves of all the dispensaries across the rest of the country. In late July, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat New York, and Senators Cory Booker, Democrat New Jersey, and Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, introduced a bill to end federal cannabis prohibition. If passed, it would remove marijuana from its Schedule I status under the Controlled Substances Act and regulate it like alcohol and tobacco. Freshman Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican of South Carolina, has a competing bill with a lower federal excise tax, while the Charles Koch-founded group, Americans for Prosperity, has been lobbying hard to legalize cannabis at the federal level. Until Congress acts, there will be carnage. In July, California, belatedly recognizing the mess its politicians created, repealed a tax on cultivators but it's too late to save Golden State producers from shredding their product in the wood chipper rather than selling it at a loss. Burner, for one, is not optimistic that Congress can get much of anything done right now, much less legalize cannabis nationally, but having recently beaten colon cancer, he sees the world through rosier lenses. This is part of history. I can die saying I helped kick the doors down, he says. Being a Latino kid who had been selling weed since I was 12, it's working. Legalization is just getting started. While sitting on his dock, floating on the marine green water, surrounded by the Mission Mountains and smoking another two-gram joint, Burner is focusing on his next big acts, opening cookies dispensaries in Thailand and Miami this summer, then a cookies clothing store with a lounge and a cookies University near Macy's in Manhattan. Eventually, he hopes to transform the New York store into a licensed dispensary, which would give him a cannabis empire that stretches from Melrose to Broadway. It's going to play out like alcohol played out. There's only going to be a few players, Berner says. History concurs. Prohibition ushered forth a decade of crime and dysfunction, which repeal led to the emergence of great, profitable American industries and brands. Congress, are you listening? And that concludes the cover story, Weed vs. Greed, by Will Jakobitz. To find the latest podcast, you can search for Forbes Airs LA on listennotes.com, or you can subscribe to this podcast through Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others, so you can be notified whenever each new issue is uploaded. Airs LA is a 100% voluntary organization whose purpose is to provide information to those who are blind or print-impaired. This is Martin Grote. I'm proud to be one of those volunteers, and I'll be back soon with other articles from Forbes magazine. Thank you for listening.